0: The South African rugby team, the Springboks, is an exceptional sports team. They're the world champions. They're completely dominant. They have regularly beaten all of the best of the rest teams in the world over the last handful of years, led by their, more famous than rugby now, transcending the sport, iconic leader, Sia Kulisi. They're also one of those rare and completely remarkable sports teams that manages somehow to bind a country, a fan base together behind them. The Springboks is also that very rare case of a sports team that manages to so fundamentally inspire, unite, and create pride in their fan base that watching them becomes like this weird communal, almost like patriotic act. It's happening right now in South Africa. If you go outside on a given day at a given time when the box are playing, there are no cars on the street. Every single restaurant is open. Restaurants which didn't have TV screens now have TV screens. Because everyone wants to get together and watch the Springboks together. The Springboks inspire us to have hope in South Africa, to see the best potential of ourselves in all of these players and truly to make us love them. So the Springboks are remarkable. They're not just another excellent sports team. But the reason why the Springboks are a miracle is because that the Springboks have come out of the Springboks, which for 100 years or more, were the symbols of white supremacy in South Africa. Under apartheid, the Springbok logo, the green and gold jersey, and playing for the South African national rugby team meant that you were an example of the perfect Afrikaner, the perfect white man with all of the best values of an Afrikaner nation that was trying to establish itself in the world order on the backs of oppressed black people. For decades, the Springbok emblem was resented by most all black South Africans, people of color. It was boycotted by countries around the world. And yet somehow in the last five or maybe eight years, the meaning and the symbolism of the Springbok and the South African National Rugby Team has been completely changed, overhauled by an excellent and inspirational group of people. And so that's what we're talking about today. This is the issue with the Springboks. How somehow... The Springbok has come out of such a dark past to be almost unbelievably remade as a symbol of everything that the apartheid government fought against. Welcome to The Issue with Dan Corder. This of course is the show where we remind you that South Africa is a movie. Come watch with us because whatever's happening, the biggest news stories, political affairs or cultural moments, we're going to talk about it. And today we're talking about rugby. It is the World Cup. We are deep, deep, deep in it now and we are so invested. As always, you can watch the video version of this episode on our YouTube channel and please do just take a second if you don't mind. Follow, subscribe and like both this podcast and us everywhere else. We're trying to keep lights on even if escom is doing its best to turn them off and continue to grow this project of ours that we're doing together all right let's get into the spring walks. to watch the rugby world cup in 2023 it's now october started in september is really remarkable it feels different to any time before so i was born in 1993 right at the end i was like six months old When South Africa for the first time had its first democratic elections, apartheid was kicked down into history and the ANC government took over to rule South Africa for the first time. So I have no memory of South Africa winning their first World Cup, which was in the mid-90s. But I do vividly remember 2007. I was 13 turning 14 years old. And I do remember 2019. Both of those years we won our second and then third World Cups. And each one felt different. But this one feels especially different. Let me try and explain. Right up until 2019, rugby was the obsession of white South Africans and many, many colored South Africans and some black South Africans, particularly in the Eastern Cape. We'll get into that later. But it didn't seem like the whole country was watching or supporting or in love with the Springboks. And huge debates raged about the Springboks. That was the time when race quotas or at least the specific push by the South African Rugby Union to get more black players and players of color to get opportunities and playing for the Springboks. That was extremely contentious and it was controversial. People were saying, ah, but like you're screwing over white South Africans who or better players or deserve it more or deserve it just as much. And you're pushing mediocrity. And there was this question about whether the Springboks could be better if they weren't playing so many players of color and whether or not any of them deserved to be there, which was fought over at length. But there was also this long, long long-standing debate about whether or not South Africa should change. Not necessarily our colors that we play in, because since New Dawn, since proper democracy, since proper South Africa, all of our sports teams have played in variations of green and gold, but particularly the emblem of the springbok, because of what it means in history. And we'll get into that in a second. People were debating, should we get rid of the springbok? Should we use another emblem of South Africa, like the Protea, which is used on our cricket jerseys? Because the springbok was so controversial for what it turned into in history. Shame. This poor little antelope that is native to Southern Africa probably has no idea that it's not about it. But a lot of people wanted it removed from like our national iconography as recently as early 2019. And then in 2019, when not many people thought that they would win the World Cup, the Springboks did. But they did it in a radically different way. If you put The 2007 South Africa winning team next to the 2019 one, there will be one very noticeable difference, which is that even in 2007, there were very, very few players of color in the Springboks. There was only one in 1995, the legend Chester Williams, and there were more like epic players like Brian Habana in 2007. But in 2019, Sia Kulisi, black man from the Eastern Cape, from a township in the Eastern Cape, was the captain of the South African national rugby team. Our two try scorers in the final were black and colored, Marcus Ole, Mapimpi, and Ches and Colby. A black man, Lukanyo Am, um, was one of the best players in the tournament. Another black man, Bongi Bonambi, was one of our key front row players, and they weren't the only ones. So this Springbok team looked radically different. So when they won, and the party in the streets that day, yo, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. I was on Long Street in Cape Town, and the whole street was in party mode, beers being thrown down from balconies up top, there were these poor athletes uh, running a very hard and famous race called Three Peaks, where you start in the Cape Town City Center and then you run up Table Mountain, you run down. Then you run your second peak, which is uh, Devil's Peak, and then you run down. And then third peak, Lion's Head, and then you run down. The fastest ones were running down Long Street as we won. And they were being carried down and thrown in the air and alcohol was being poured on them. It was such an outrageous party. But it definitely felt different. And I believe it was because for the first time, The South African national rugby team looked like South Africa. Most all South Africans could look at that team and see someone who came from a life like theirs, spoke like them, looked like them, and could feel represented like they were a part of this team and this team was welcoming to and celebratory of them. That was huge. And I think since then, the pride in the Springboks and the need for South Africans to have hope in ourselves and belief that we can be the best... In the midst of so much bad news and rough times in our politics and our national culture and ESCOM and all the terrible things, the Springboks, as world champions, have become even more important. Sia Kulisi is one of the most extraordinary leaders of any sporting code. In fact, just leaders, including politics, in the whole world. He's empathic and sensitive and he says the right things and he acts with dignity and treats people with respect. And the whole team follows him in that, on and off the field. And they've become extraordinary ambassadors for what we want for South Africa, what we hope South Africa can turn into. And so these days, it feels like for the first time, the whole country knows about and is watching the Spring Box. So many people are like, I don't understand how this this game works, this rugby game, but someone please explain to me because I know I'm going to be there in the spa and wanting the box to win. And I know all the players and I know the names of their wives and I know why they're injured and what their strengths and weaknesses are. It's this real all of South Africa uniting obsession. It's really extraordinary. And I hope we win this World Cup. I desperately do. But it's already been incredible to see this unite, to feel this uniting force in South Africa, a little bit like the 2010 Soccer World Cup. But that was just because it was here. This is a team that it feels like has truly become the national treasure of South Africa. But if you're South African listening to this, you probably know this already. So let's talk about why this is such a miracle. Let's talk about why A team of rugby players in South Africa playing in green and gold called the Springboks under the Springbok logo on their chests above their hearts is so miraculous, unbelievable. Rugby has always been known as the posh sport, which I know sounds weird because it's large, brutish looking men and women running into each other and bashing each other's brains out and drawing blood. But as far back as the 1800s in England, Only the posh, expensive, exclusive schools played rugby. And even today, we know soccer is the beautiful game. It's the people's game. It's the most participated in game in the world. And one of the reasons for that is that it's so fundamentally accessible, much more than, say, rugby or cricket. But in that exclusivity is where rugby got all of its prestige. So even today, it's so funny to watch post-match interviews with rugby and soccer players, particularly in England. You can see it because after watching these bruises, these oaths, these absolute monster humans just beat the hell out of each other for like two hours then they get to the post-match interview and it sounds like they come from oxford or cambridge darling or they were definitely educated Eton, and yes fine fine game my chap very well played very well played whereas it's the soccer players who make way more money than the rugby players and are way more famous who are much more like working class sounding from the street traditionally stereotypically less educated And so, when rugby was brought to South Africa by British settlers, it was immediately the sign of civilization, of elitism, of high-end whiteness, let's say. Of, like, Woolworths of the 1860s and 70s. Only the best schools played rugby. Only they had the facilities and the connections and the know-how. And over time, very slowly... People of color started to get opportunities to play rugby, but not with white people. They made their own opportunities. There were some missionary schools in the Eastern Cape in particular, which would encourage and offer rugby to young black people instead of soccer, which was much more commonly offered by missionary schools, particularly in the rest of the country, like in KwaZulu-Natal. And so if you're wondering why are so many of South Africa's best black rugby players, Hossa, from the Eastern Cape, like Lukanyo Am and Makazole Mopimpi and Tsiakulisi, There's a long tradition of great black rugby in the Eastern Cape, stemming from that. Over time, Afrikaners started to play rugby and playing it in their schools. And then by the end of the 1800s, there started to be tours where an English team would come down from England to play a local side that would be kind of like a composite team, maybe of a local rugby club, or they'd borrow the local school's jerseys and a bunch of players would get together and they'd play these exhibition rugby matches. And funnily enough, the first time that a South African team, or what would become known as a South African team, because South Africa wasn't invented as a country yet, but the first South African team to beat a touring team from Britain happened to that day be playing in green because they'd borrowed the kit of a local prestigious school called Diocesan College, which you now more commonly know as bishops. And so they decided to keep the green and they adopted, well, bishops donated their kit to the Springboks, and then converted to their now darker navy kit. And that's literally where the green comes from. As simple and random as that, it just happened to be the kit that they borrowed from the school that they were playing in on the day that they beat the British touring team for the first time. The South African rugby board was set up in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but only for white people and only white board members and white players. And then what was known, I think, as the Colored Rugby Board. But basically, there was a players of color equivalent that was set up with no association and were not welcomed or recognized by any kind of authority to try and kind of formalize and structure the playing of rugby by people of color across what was then still not South Africa, right? Because the Anglo-Boer War or the South African War, as we now call it, was going on. I'm going to call it the South African War, reason why it's super simple, all historians are now starting to do it and more and more people in South Africa are following suit because yes, it was formerly the British versus the Boers, but there is now a totally uncontroversial and obvious acknowledgement of the truth, which is that hundreds of thousands, millions of other people in South Africa, people of color were fighting on both sides, affected on both sides of this war and so were fundamentally involved and so Anglo-Boer War smudges history and leaves a lot of people out. And so instead, it's called the South African War because out of the war, the country South Africa was invented. The next part of our story is where the Springbok comes from. It was around 1906, 1907, and the South African War had ended, and the winning British rulers were trying to create reconciliation between themselves and the Boers who had lost. They were trying to create this new order in South Africa and include the Afrikaners by making it a racialized order, where it doesn't matter if you're British or if you were an Afrikaner, if you were white, you were the chosen ones, you were in the ruling class. And so they created a composite team to go on a tour to England to play as the South African team in the old country. And they purposefully mixed Afrikaners and Brits, or at least Afrikaans South Africans and British South Africans, English-speaking South Africans, into one team together, as a sign of this new kind of reconciliation, no players of colour. And when this team arrived in England, it suddenly occurred to them, Ah, oh, but we don't have a name. And the British press, the British media is known for being super vicious and mocking and for giving silly, denigrating, embarrassing, humiliating nicknames to anybody that they're talking about, particularly foes of the British Empire. And so they thought to themselves, we need to give ourselves a name before the British press gives us a name. And so they came up with the Springbok or Springbokken, Uh, that was the Dutch for it, but anglicized into the Springboks because it was an antelope that they were inspired by that was native to Southern Africa. And that was kind of it, really. That's that's how it happened. And we've been the Springboks playing in green and gold ever since. So immediately from the formation of the South African national rugby team, it was a project of bonding white people together and committing them to being at peace on the same side in the project of oppressing people of color for white people's benefit from the very beginning and it was used like that like until the 90s really until the end of apartheid 30 years ago particularly from 1948 it changed because the apartheid government came into power the national party and they instantly identified the South African rugby team as the way they were going to symbolize the superiority the elitism and the excellence the supremacy the white supremacy of the Afrikaner people that was the whole Project. They wanted a superb rugby team full of Afrikaans white players who would embody the values and the characteristics of Afrikaner patriotism, of the project of Afrikaner nationalism. And this rugby team would be exemplary and take on the world and beat the world's other great nations to prove that this new project of Afrikaner South Africa was civilized and equal to the other great ruling white nations of the deeply racist world in the late 40s, early 50s. The springbok jersey, the green and gold, was considered sacred to wear. And the idea of anybody of color wearing that jersey was sacrilege to this deeply racist white supremacist project. So of course, no South Africans of color were allowed to come within any distance. In fact, South Africans of color weren't welcomed into formalized rugby playing structures, they weren't given any government support, they weren't given fields to play on or poles to use or rugby balls, they weren't given facilities, they weren't given any opportunities for commercial professionalism, so they couldn't even get trained properly and develop their own skills, while enormous funds, attention, time and effort were poured into the white game of rugby. So in the 1960s, there was a huge attempt to boycott, divest and sanction apartheid South Africa as a punishment for their racist white supremacist regime oppressing and exploiting and extracting resources from black South Africans and labor for the benefit of only white people in South Africa. It seemed very ironic at the time that all of these white supremacist former colonizing nations, as they were releasing colonies, giving them freedom, giving them independence, various other places around the world, they suddenly took a self-righteous stance against South Africa, which is not to say that I support them or Apartheid South Africa. Screw them all. But it was very ironic and quite weird. Nonetheless, the boycotts were a good thing. They were effective against Apartheid South Africa. In 1963, the South African Non-Racial Olympic Committee was formed. And this committee was essentially criticizing South Africa for only allowing white South Africans to compete for them in the Olympics. South Africa was then suspended from the 1964 Olympics, so immediately the attempts to get South Africa boycotted and given attention were called out. But the boycott took a little bit longer to affect rugby. In fact, just a year later, in 1965, the Springboks toured New Zealand playing rugby in a direct contravention of the attempts to isolate South Africa from the world. And the boycott certainly set in and started to affect all South African sports. Then in 1963, SACOS, or the South African Council on Sports, was formed. They were asking for reform at a domestic level and specifically non-racial development of sports, allowing people of color to play together with white people without looking at race and dividing them and allowing, therefore, people of color to get opportunities for development of their own sport. The height of South African rugby and sporting isolation was in the 1980s. There was a further tour of New Zealand in 1981. I don't know what the New Zealanders were thinking. And there was massive protest and outcry. And then the International Rugby Board, the IRB, formally banned South Africa from 1984 until 1992. And that is why the Springboks have missed World Cups. They didn't play in the World Cups that came to exist during that time period. Then, as it looked like apartheid was going to end, even before the 1994 election, the Springboks were allowed back from isolation. but. All of the evidence of the Springboks being an iconic work of apartheid, racist, white supremacist ideology was on show in 1992, where we faced New Zealand again. I, 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 I don't understand. Face New Zealand at Ellis Park Stadium in Johannesburg in 1992. And you could hear DSTEM, the full DSTEM, which we know was used by the apartheid government to kind of celebrate and push through their racist white superiority ideology. Distem was sung by many Afrikaners at that game. The old South African flag was being waved constantly in the ways that we still see in Perth, unfortunately today, and we particularly would see during Super Rugby when it used to exist. So, as recently as 31 years ago, this was exactly what the Springboks were and what it was. Then... New South Africa, Nelson Mandela decides that one of the best ways to walk the walk, or walk the talk of reconciliation, was to support South African sport teams. He was standing next to Francois Pinard as we hosted and then won our first World Cup since returning from isolation. Mandela celebrated with him, punched the air as Pinard raised the famous Webb Ellis Cup into the sky to celebrate our World Cup victory. But... Even after that victory, many South Africans, black South Africans, continued to support the All Blacks, which they had been doing throughout apartheid. And the reason why is because for millions of black South Africans, the Springboks did represent the worst evils of apartheid and the pride of the apartheid government in their racist vision for South Africa. And many South Africans supported New Zealand instead. In fact, outside of New Zealand, the biggest fan bases for all blacks are in the Eastern Cape and the Western Cape. And many colored South Africans, particularly in the Western Cape, still support New Zealand to this day. And that's exactly because New Zealand had a great rugby team when our rugby team represented the worst and most evil. There was actually a lot of anti-apartheid work being done in New Zealand. New Zealand had an anti-apartheid movement. In fact, in the 1970s, New Zealand had the highest anti-apartheid movement per capita support in the world, which is pretty epic. And many of the protests against the South African tours of New Zealand during apartheid were organized by the New Zealand anti-apartheid movement. Lastly, because so many Maori players play for New Zealand, there did seem to be symbolic similarities between South Africa and New Zealand because of the need for more Maori representation within New Zealand rugby that was happening at the same time as the fight for justice in South Africa. And all of this came to a head in the 1981 tour Where Favut refused to let South Africa play against any brown-skinned Maoris in the New Zealand team. Because he was terrified, what if our white team loses to players of colour? That would undermine the entire project. And so that should give you some understanding of why the Springbok emblem and the team remained so contested in the New South Africa And right through the 2007 World Cup, where we won, but as I said earlier, vast majority white players, vast majority Afrikaans white players, right through the mess where the South African Rugby Union tried to create transformation by giving players of color more opportunities and all the backlash from that with all the kind of arguments about quotas that fell into similar arguments as Black Economic Empowerment or BEE, all of that mess together in South Africa. And so it was a sour taste around the Springboks and a daily daily seemingly think pieces and radio conversations and profiles on television across South Africa of should we get rid of the springbok emblem we can keep the green we can keep the gold but like different animal please different symbol different something else we can't escape or remake what it used to mean and then came change then came what I described earlier Sia Kulisi inspirational excellent captain a black captain of the springboks the apartheid government's doomsday armageddon apocalypse worst nightmare come true exceptional deserving players of color who have been given opportunities 10 15 years before when they were younger because of efforts in the new south africa to give more people more chances becoming the best that the springboks could have in various positions like a makazole mapimpi chiz and colby alokanyo am and then them being the best in the world, them winning the 2019 World Cup, crowning themselves world champions and looking way more like South Africa. And after that happened, it all stopped. The debates about the Springbok logo, the debates about the green and gold, even nearly all the debates about race quotas or giving players of color opportunities. And the reason why... Is because the Springbok team managed to do something extraordinary. They managed to rob the emblem, the symbol of all of that evil, and create a triumphant narrative of overcoming and imbue brand new symbolic meaning of the new project of South Africa into that symbol. We didn't have to make a new one. And this has been an interesting debate in South Africa for the longest time. If you go to the Constitutional Court, which is the highest court in the land, you will see that even when they were redesigning the court in the mid-90s, they made specific decisions about not hiding history, not just because they built it on the old Fort Prison where many South African struggle heroes and many people were thrown into jail by the apartheid government. They decided not to hide that history, but to build on top of it to show where we came from and to show that we're taking those kind of old rubble and remnants of the apartheid government and in spite of them, to almost spite this history, to remake it into something new that we're proud of and invested in that the apartheid government would hate. And that is kind of what they managed to do with the Springboks. So now there are many young South Africans who genuinely may not know this history that I just told you, who may not know what the Springboks used to mean because now the Springboks means the best rugby team that South Africa can create, full of South Africans who look, sound like and come from all different walks of what it means to be South African and who are maybe the best rugby team in the world and currently the world champions. And that is why the Springboks in 2023 are such a miracle. Excellent rugby team, remarkable in them being one of those rare rugby teams like the Chicago Bulls maybe that or the Brazilian soccer team that can unite a whole country and make them feel better about themselves, but also a genuine miracle. Thank you so much for listening. That's The Issue with Dan Corder. Please, once again, give us a follow, a like, and a subscribe so we can keep this project going and keep the lights on. Remember, South Africa is a movie. Come watch with us. You can get us on all the social medias. Just search The Issue with Dan Corder. You can also watch the video episodes across on YouTube. Search the same thing. And we'll see you in a week.